Hello. And welcome to another episode of Saturday the 14th. I am Maggie. And I'm Maddie. And we are here to talk to you today about creepy dance schools. Yeah, um, witchy dance schools. Ooh, so witchy. Yeah. Um, we are talking about, we're doing a bit of a double feature today. We're talking about Suspiria. And I, going in, had only seen the trailer for the new Suspiria. I hadn't watched anything. And they're both really good in very different ways. Yeah, they, uh, when we were planning on doing this, we looked over the Amazon reviews for the new one. Um, the one that came out in 2018, and they are, like, all one-star or four-stars, yeah. and there's nothing. I think we mentioned this at the end of the last episode. There's, like, nothing in between. No, it is, like, you either love it or you hate it. And I get that now, because, like, if you go into it and you're just watching, like, that movie, it's a great movie. Yeah. If you go into it and the original Suspiria is, like, a movie that you love and it's important to you, you're not going to like this movie, because they're not... They're, like, they're similar enough that you can tell they're connected, but, like, they're not the same at all. Yeah, I, um was reading an article about the idea of how remakes either do like the same exact thing or they can take it in a completely different direction if they go in between that's when they are not good and because they like change too much but try and say the same um but this one really leaned into this is a different movie with a similar premise yeah and i loved it yeah i really thought at first i was a little bit like I was hoping that they would do more of the really fun, bright colors and stuff like that, because I think that's really visually interesting. And the first, the original movie is very bright and weird and experimental. There are scenes where, like, lights change from red to green, and there are, like, shots that are completely in blue and red and nothing else. Like, the lighting is crazy in the 1977 Suspiria. And, like, all of the interiors are very surreal and super Baroque and, like, Art Nouveau. And and it's really interesting. And um, I think that the remake is a little bit more modern like in terms of its color scheme it's more in line with what other movies are doing today it also takes place um during the time of the like berlin wall and um so there are a lot of issues surrounding that yeah and it's definitely more realistic they bring in politics into it a bit which i think is super interesting but it makes sense that like while the berlin wall was up and there are two parts of the city it's going to be a very different experience. Though, I think the movie takes place in the same year the original Suspiria was made. It does. But there's also this thing in the original, and we're kind of just breezing over a lot of this stuff now. We're going to talk about all of this in greater depth later on. Um, The original is sort of timeless. Like, it doesn't have... Mm -mm. Part of the surreal nature of it is that, like, since nothing really looks real, it's hard to tie down exactly when it's supposed to take place. And it also is, like, in the middle of nowhere. It's not in, like, a downtown area. Yeah, it's sort of removed from everything. But it's really fun, and I'm excited to dive further into it. Yeah. All right. So we're going to do a briefer rundown, I think, for both of these than usual, just because there's two and there's a lot to talk about. Um, So we'll get into this right away, and we're going to start with the first one. Um, The original Suspiria was released in 1977, and it was directed by Dario Argento. It was also written by him, along with Daria Nicolodi. Yes, who was actually uh, his romantic partner for a while and was in some of his other films and is the mother of his daughter, uh, Asia Argento. I was looking at a list of horror movies that were written by women, Mm -hmm. and this was on them. Yeah. And I was like, oh, crap, that's so cool. It is. Yeah, I feel like we've ended up doing a lot of uh, woman I love it. horror, which I love because there should be so much of it. Yeah. Uh, and this is a very woman-focused movie. Um, so it stars Jessica Harper, uh, Stefania Cassini, Flavio Bucci, Miguel Bose, Barbara Magnolfi, Susanna Javacoli, Eva Axon, Alita Valli, and Joan Bennett, 
who is a film star from like the, the 30s and 40s, and this is her final role that she ever did. Oh. Yeah. If you notice also in that list of names, there's only two men listed. Yeah, and only two American people. This is a very, very Italian movie. Which is interesting, because it is all in English. I expected it to maybe be foreign language. Well, a lot of it is dubbed. So during most of the scenes where, like, uh, Susie and Sarah are talking, for example, um, Sarah's actress is, I believe, speaking Italian, and then they dub the English over it. Okay, so they both knew... I was watching her lips. Um, I don't know if it was that she was speaking Italian or if she just, um, they had to redub because her accent made it difficult to hear. That's what my guess was because yeah. a lot of times the lips seem to match up on people. Mm-hmm. And I was guessing maybe the mic situation wasn't great. Maybe they just had like a much thicker accent and were like had a harder time being really understood while also acting. And that right. was why it was dubbed. Yeah. I wasn't 100% sure the reason. But it looked like they were speaking English, just that it didn't line it's up so perfectly. clearly dubbed, yeah. yeah. Which is a very Italian thing, and I don't think it would have stood out to audiences at the time. But definitely it takes a second when you watch the movie to like adjust to the fact that like it's so dubbed. Also, Everything some of the is acting so is so bad in this. Yeah, apparently originally they were going to all be young girls. Like, they were all supposed to be like 10 years old. Mm. And then the producers were like, yeah, we're not going to like violently murder a bunch of 10-year-olds. That's probably a good call, movie. yeah. So they, um, they changed them to like young adult women but they didn't really change much of the dialogue so a lot of the speech or like that the conversations that they're having are supposed are so, to be for 10 year olds but i like, had no idea that's so, that's so interesting that's why like a lot of it comes across kind of weird and childish and like fake sounding okay that makes perfect sense because i was like why is this just so yeah. over dramatic and kind of weird at times but yeah it's good. It's um, interesting. But this movie was made for 1.48 billion lira. Which comes out to about $1.68 million. No, this is the box office. This is not the budget. I couldn't find oh, the fuck. budget. Sorry. So um, while we don't really know exactly how much this movie was made for, there's a lot of really cool practical effects that are used. So it, And then there's not so great practical effects that are used. Um, specifically, the, there's a scene where a dog attacks someone. It's clearly like a stuffed animal with teeth. Yeah, that part was um, <laughs> But it did end up making in Italy 1.48 billion lira. Which comes out to about $1.68 million And then in the North America, they made about $1.8 million just in rentals. Yeah. This was a, a big success for him. It's still a cult classic. Yeah, like, absolutely. People talk about how much they love it. I mean, when they announced the remake, everybody was like, they're remaking Suspiria? Like, it's a it's an icon. You I know? never heard of it before. Yeah. I didn't even know when it was in theaters. I found I out about I it. I don't think I really heard of it. But I was vaguely familiar with the idea. Like, I'd heard the name before. And then, like, once it got announced, there were all these articles about being like, oh, they're remaking Suspiria. What's it going to be? And I was like, okay, so clearly Suspiria is, like, a bigger deal than, like, I realized it was. I found out about it because a friend of mine Facebook messaged me and was like, yo, do you want to go see Suspiria? And I couldn't because I was crazy busy when it was out. Dude, I bet that the remake would have been amazing to see in theaters. Oh, my God. Like, I'm very happy that it's up on Amazon, but, like. I want to go see it again and again and again. I really liked the it remake. It was really well done. It was. Really well done. I had problems with the wig that they had Susie wear in the remake. Oh my God, that was so weird. Her forehead it looked became huge. bad. Yeah. Dakota Fanning, nope. Dakota Johnson is much better looking than that wig made her Agreed. Seem. <laughs> Um, okay, so the original movie starts off with Susie Banyan, who is played by Jessica Harper, um, arriving in Germany because she has gotten like a place at the Tanz Dance Academy in Freiburg. 
And she goes from the train station to this fancy school. And when mm-hmm. she gets there, there's someone who's, like, standing in the doorway who's, like, talking to someone behind the door that she can't see who's, like, freaking out. And then she runs away off into the forest, never to be seen again. Yeah. And so Susie, like, tries to buzz in. And the lady on the other side of the um, intercom is like, I don't know who you are. Like, go away. You can't come in. And she's like, but I'm supposed to be here. And they're like, no, you have to go. So she's like, okay. She leaves um she like goes back into town in the taxi that she brought there um and as she's leaving she sees patricia is the name of the girl that she sees um patricia hingle which is a great name um she sees her like running through the woods yeah i said that she was never to be seen again she's never to be seen again at the school right we see her but we see her a couple more times yes um and so we kind of leave Susie there, like it shifts focus to Patricia, and we see Patricia go to hide at a friend's apartment, um, and she's like, I'm going to leave town forever, like, I found all this messed up stuff at the school, I don't want to be there anymore, I and can't deal with it. And friend is trying to be like, what happened, tell me, and she's like, no, and she goes into the bathroom, and while she's in the bathroom, this like, the wind blows open the shutters, and she screams, her friend comes running in, and is like, what happened? And she's like, oh, it's just the wind, they close it, and her friend gets out of the bathroom. Yeah, and so she locks herself in there. And looks back out through the window. And, like, on the other side of these, like, there's, like, laundry hanging through the window. She sees this, like, really creepy pair of glowing eyes in the dark. Yeah. But to be fair, Patricia was not the smartest person in this scene. She spends, like, two minutes just staring out the window, getting closer and closer. She brings a lamp in. She could have just gotten away from the window if she was worried someone's out there. Exactly. Um, But obviously she doesn't do that. And instead, um, some very hairy arms smash through the window... And just stab the shit out of her. Yup. And then she and her friend hears all this happening. Can't get in the bathroom because uh, Patricia had locked it. So she goes around banging on doors all around the building. And uh, no one comes out to help her. And then shortly after, Patricia's body, very stabbed and bloody, comes through the ceiling of the apartment building with a noose tied around her neck. Yeah, I feel like we have to take a moment to appreciate the unbelievable set design and weird-ass oh architecture. My God, like, it's, it's so surreal, but it's gorgeous. It's all really um very art nouveau like i said earlier it's all very bright colors really bold a lot of reds and pinks and when stuff she comes like to the ceiling it's this beautiful stained glass um like skylight type yeah, thing that's like in the, in the middle, middle of the, the ceiling. courtyard yeah and so when she comes through that then it's like it breaks yeah and then all the stuff that comes down also pierces her friend's body and yeah, she ends up bleeding out everywhere and while i did say earlier that there's like not the best acting the dubbing's a little weird visually this movie is pretty stunning it's unbelievable it's literally like not a movie that you should watch while you're doing something else you should just watch it and look at like every single frame because it's gorgeous well it's... there are a couple frames i said i might say look That's away from true. um <laughs> but better to not take the risk and accidentally look away during a really cool scene because there's a lot of really cool stuff but it is very 1970s (laughs) um but so the next morning Susie returns to the school and when she gets there she gets to meet the school staff yes and so first off she meets Miss Tanner who is a very dapperly dressed older woman with like victory rolls up in her hair and she's wearing like a three-piece suit yeah she's cool yeah, and then she also meets the headmistress, who is named Madame Blanc, who actually knows Susie's aunt, it turns out. Yeah. And she has this, like, stunning dress on. She's, like, very done up. She's, and like, seems a like, super glam old lady. Yeah. She's played by Joan Bennett, who, like I said earlier, was, like, an old Hollywood star. And it's kind of interesting, because when I was watching this, I was like, you know what? I bet that woman is... Some- like, I bet she was an actress when she was younger. I didn't even think to and look I didn't that up. recognize her, but I think I've seen stuff with her in it. I'm not, like, a huge Joan Bennett fan, but, like, I definitely recognized her once I looked her up. But she has that look of, like 
a woman who was very glamorous during the 1930s and who has aged but is still kind of like into the whole glam thing, which I love. I adore. I think it's amazing. And so um, while she meets them, Madame Blanc tells her about how a student had been expelled from the day before, so it was Patricia, um, had been murdered by a madman. Yeah, she's like, it was unfortunate, but she was, you know, involved with these you know, troublemakers and stuff like that, like a bad crowd. And so we had to let her go. And then, it, you know, it ended up being such a tragedy and all this. Yeah. And it's a little shady. It and other weird. people, I think, I don't remember if it was Olga or Susie. Sorry. I don't remember if it was Olga or Sarah who are students that, um, but, uh, who are students that Susie meets in like the next scene. Yeah. But one of them's like, oh yeah, she was such a troublemaker and so annoying. Like she fucking deserved to be expelled. Yeah. There's some weird energy around the dance school. There's like a little kid who's just sitting there. Who's like, I guess, Madame Blanc's nephew? Nephew? No, it's um, Miss Tanner's nep- grandson, nephew, something like that. Something like that. It's very weird. Yeah, there's just weird shots of people sitting in hallways and staring. It's all super surreal. It's very surreal. Um, um, but then the next day, so Miss Tanner introduces Susie to all the other students, Olga, um, and Sarah, this other girl. And Olga lives off campus, and they don't have a room for Susie at the moment. So she's going to be staying with Olga. Right. But Olga's, like, super sassy and weird and is really excited to get paid. And she also comes over while Sarah is talking to Susie. And she sits between them and says, like, I heard that people whose names start with S are snakes. Olga is a lot. And I... <laughs> love her but then her and sarah like get into it and they're like making noises and sticking out their tongues at each yeah, other like, like hissing at each other it's and, like, so weird but it's kind of cool it's cute and i love it um and so like she moves in with olga and they have like a nice little time and she's sort of getting like adjusted to like how weird the school is like she wanders around during class one time and she sees like this like the little kid and like this woman like sitting in the hallway like sharpening like, there's a knife some weird or something. like it's like a broken mirror it's yeah. something really sharp and really shiny and they're like polishing it or swiping it off they're doing something yeah. and they're just staring while doing this it's really creepy um i also don't know if either of those two characters ever blink in the entire movie. i don't know that they do i would be surprised if they did um but she's having a good time like she likes living with olga they kind of get along well there's like a cute guy at the at the school that like she's Seems maybe interested in. And but he he's definitely like he's, interested in he's her. He's super interested in her. And she's like, okay, bye. Like, um, but she goes to basically, like, one of the very first dance classes. And she's warming up. And this is after she sees the old woman and the boy. Yeah, and she's feeling, like, weak and under the weather. Earthquake. Hold for earthquake. Is it ever going to stop? Okay, so it's not scared. That was weird. I haven't felt an earthquake in years. Same. It's been a while. I haven't felt one in a long time. That was very strange. Okay. Anyway. Um, where were we? She's feeling weak. Yeah. Yeah. So during one of, um, it might be even her first dance class. They're like I doing warm ups. Because they're like, you have to dance this thing. She's like, I really don't feel well. And they're like, doesn't matter. You yeah. She, when she saw the boy and the woman in the hallway, it like made her feel sick somehow. I yeah. think like it was like a weird, like a hypnosis psychic or thing. Yeah. A hypnosis thing. Um, and so she, starts dancing because they say like you have to like and uh she's dancing very very badly yeah like i understand that she's feeling weak and shitty but also i think this is when you can tell they hired actresses not dancers yeah that's definitely a complaint about the first original movie is that they're not there's not much dancing this is the only scene where you see any dancing and it's like it's they could have made it any other type of school where it's not a dance school like the dance doesn't add anything to it right i was a little disappointed by how little dance there is yeah but anyway, she's dancing, and she ends up collapsing on the floor and bleeding from her nose and her mouth. Yes. And so then she wakes up in 
uh, at the school. And this is a little bit vague to me because the the teachers are like, oh, yeah, Olga, like, brought over your stuff, like, because you're going to stay here now. And she's like, oh, Olga kicked me out, like, the soonest, like, as soon as something weird happens, Olga kicks me out. I don't think Olga actually kicked her out. I don't think so either because initially, like, between her moving in with Olga and this happening, there's a time where the teacher is like, hey, by the way, our room, like, opened up. You can come stay here if you want. And she's like, no, I actually really like staying with Olga. I would prefer to stay with Olga. And they're like... Well, I guess, like, if you're really sure. So it seems like they want her there anyway. They do. And I I think also her tuition includes room and board. Yeah. And she is getting, like, a $50 per week discount for the school. So, like, they're losing money because of it also. So I get that. Um, But, yeah, Olga drops off her stuff. And I think the teachers were like, hey, can you go get it? And, like, she blames Olga. Um, And the school has this physician named Professor Verdegast. Yeah. Who decides that Susie is hemorrhaging, which is a major problem. Yeah. And he's like, we'll give you some wine for it. It'll make your blood stronger. And he also (laughs) is like, it's a cause. Like, you're out of shape. You're doing a lot of physical activity. And that makes sense that you'll have some internal bleeding. And I was just sitting there like, no. No. (laughs) And it won't be fixed with wine for sure. (laughs) Yeah, she has to have a glass of wine with every single meal. And she's being fed in her room. Yeah, like they bring her the food. Um, and it's just so weird. But Susie does realize that her room is next to Sarah's and they become really fast friends. Though when Susie is all like, oh yeah, I saw Professor Verdegas, Sarah's all like, what the hell? Like, you saw him? She never goes into yeah, that, but she's like, really, what? They're like, they brought Verdegas in for you? Like, it's really weird. It's very... And then it's never addressed again. Yeah, no, of course not. Um, so everybody's getting ready for dinner a few nights later and um, Susie's brushing her hair and she notices like a larva, like, like a, a maggot. maggot in her hairbrush and looks up and the ceiling is, is just covered in maggots. Covered like millions of maggots on the ceiling and it's all over that floor of the school. So they're fall- they start falling. At some point they like land on either Sarah or Susie's mouth. It's so gross. And I gagged twice during this This scene. is the most... Like, there's a lot of brutal violence in this movie, but this is the most disgusting part of the movie. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, And so all of the students on that floor have to go sleep in one of the dance halls. And uh, Madame Blanc goes up to check in the attic to see what's causing the maggots. And she finds, like, a crate of rotten food. And she comes down. She's like, oh, like, we ordered it from this one place, but it's clear that they delivered it rotten. It, It was rotten meat. Yeah. It was hard to tell if it was intended to be food or if it was once a body or something like that. Either like, way, it they was were not keeping gross. it anywhere refrigerated. Oh, God, no. So it's like, it's going to happen. Yeah. Um, but then that night, they're sleeping in the dance hall where they, like, made a little dormitory. And they have, like, the boys on one side of a big sheet and the girls on the other. And it's really cool, like, the lighting. There's a lot of, like, red light and, like, things projected. Like, you see the shadows yeah. on the sheets as people are walking around behind And this it. is especially dramatic when a woman walks in behind the sheet and you see her walking slowly and she lays down on a bed but she has this really heavy labored breathing yeah and sarah who is in the bed next to Susie, whispers about like oh do you hear that like that's the school's um directress directress yes and she's supposed to be gone for like a month on vacation or something like that and that means they've been lying about yeah. where she is. And she, like, recognizes her breathing because she shared, like, a, she had a room next to her at one point in time when she was visiting the school. And she had the same heavy breathing. Yeah. So she's like, I know who that is. It's weird. Um, 
so they, the next day the exterminator comes and everything. And things kind of go back to normal. But then a few days later, um, there's a blind pianist who works at the school. He's one of the only male characters. There are like three male characters who speak in the entire movie. And it's this pianist. It's the delivery guy. And, and then the... There's the guy who's Hungarian, but I guess he's mute, so he doesn't yeah, really he doesn't talk. Yeah, he doesn't really say anything. And then there's like the boy at the school that they like. That's the... He, he's... Um, the deli- yeah, the he delivery like brings guy mentioned, yeah. And stuff like that, yeah. Um... Yes, when I say delivery guy, he makes deliveries specifically to Susie because he likes Susie, but he's, like, technically not a delivery boy. He's, like, a dance student as well. Um, But this blind pianist, his seeing-eye dog attacks the young boy at the school. Like, he bites his arm. And Miss Tanner freaks out. She comes in, she's like, you know, how could you let something happen like this? Like, that dog's a monster. He's an animal. And Daniel's like, Daniel's the name of the blind pianist. And he's like, he would never do that. Like, he's so well-trained. He doesn't hurt people. Like, he's, like, the kid must have done something wrong. Um, But he gets fired. And so he's like, fuck you guys. I'm out of here. So he he goes out drinking to, like, a beer hall where people are dancing on tables. He has a great time. Yeah. And he walks home after this with his seeing-eye dog. And he's, like, being stalked by something. Like, you keep hearing these noises. Yeah. And there are really dramatic shots of this. I don't know if it's a church. I think it might be a church because it has, like, gargoyles on top. Yeah. And um, he's freaking out. And then his dog jumps on him and, like, rips out his throat. Yeah. Which is, like, the only really bad visual effect, I'd say. And that's hard to do. Like, you can't it have is. a real dog. No. You, know. um, you could have had a dog attacking a... Um, dummy fake yeah dummy. that would have been better that probably would have been better because it's just a like stuffed animal that has teeth that are it's like being like shaken around his neck and it's really funny <laughs> it looks pretty bad but like um, it is hard to do and it was the 70s yeah so back at the school Susie has like this memory of the night that patricia left and that she arrived and she remembers her saying the word secret and the word iris as she was leaving the school and she's like what does that mean like what could that possibly be referring to and so she talks to sarah about it and they go swimming yeah, they have this conversation in the swimming pool. Yeah, which is beautiful. There it's, is, and that's actually a shot that I guess is inspired by cat people. Ooh, because there's like that feeling that someone is watching them while they're in the pool. Oh, like, because so there's a shot from like overhead, like over the balcony, mm-hmm. that's like meant to be creepy and unnerving. You know? Oh, I just thought it was like a beautiful shot of them just like swimming. It is that too. <laughs> um, and then while they're swimming, yeah, Sarah says that she was the person who was on the intercom when Susie came in. And um, Patricia was talking to Sarah. Mm -hmm. And so, but she couldn't hear it all because of, like, the winds and shit. Yeah. And so back in Susie's bedroom later, um, Sarah's trying to talk to her about witches. Yeah, she, um, Patricia had done a lot of research and stuff while she was there and had, like, these theories and had all these papers that she'd written out. Yeah. And Sarah runs to go grab them because Patricia had given them to her before she left. And... Susie just like passes out yeah but her whole thing is like she can hear people walking around in the in the school in the middle of the night she's like they're leaving right they must be going somewhere and Susie's like no they're not leaving because they're going in the wrong direction to be leaving so she's been trying to figure out where all these women are going at night when they all walk through the halls of the school together so she kind of sort of plants this idea in Susie's head and then Susie like you said faints and she hears someone coming. Sarah does. Yeah, She's like, so shit, I got to get the fuck out of here. She hides this piece of paper in, like, a drawer or something like that next to Susie's bed. And then there's, like, a person who's coming into Susie's bedroom. And so yeah. Sarah, like, pieces out. And then she ends up running around. She's... I don't know if she's running away from something or if she's trying to find stuff. It's kind of I think of she's hard. trying to escape. Like, I think she's trying to find a place to hide while the other person is walking around. And she ends up, like, upstairs, I think. 
Um, but it's a little vague. It's kind of hard to tell where things are laid out in the school. But she ends up in this weird storage room. There's a lot of suitcases, yes. which are positioned beautifully next to a window. Like, oh man, what items would she need in order to climb up to this window? I know, suitcases. And so she is like climbing up them as the person is like trying to get in and they're trying to open the lock with a razor. They're really bad at opening they that suck lock. They at should it. really just be like so she has like a latch that she's done. All you need to do is lift it up. Yeah. So they stick like a razor or it kind of reminds me of like the paint things that you like when you are like spreading paint. Yeah. Um they stick it through the door and they're trying to lift it up, which should happen immediately. Yeah, but they can't get it. They can't get it for some reason. So she escapes through this window and she jumps into a room and the floor is just filled with barbed wire. That is another one that literally I felt really uncomfortable. Because so they don't show what the floor is. They just show her like getting out and then landing in just like this pit of razor wire and she just starts screaming immediately. And like you can tell that the razors have been taken off the wire. Yeah. (laughs) But she's still all sliced up. And then this person in black gloves, like, walks into the room and, like, cuts her throat. Which is pretty good special effects, actually. Yeah, that it reminds me a good. lot of the throat cutting scene, actually, in Friday the 13th. Yeah, I can see that. Where it's, like, there's, like, fake throat. Yeah. And, um, and that would have been, you know, the same time. Exactly. Years off, yeah. Um, a lot of the special effects in this reminded me of Friday the 13th. Just yeah. this is a lot bloodier and gorier than that yes. one was. Yeah. Every time anything bloody happens, there's just... Obscene amounts of blood. of bright red blood everywhere. It doesn't look realistic at all but it looks dramatic but there were times that like there's a scene where i don't remember if it was when patricia was killed in the beginning or if it was this scene with sarah um but there's one scene where there's like blood spurting out of some hole somewhere and Mm. it was getting very dramatic and i was like i hope this isn't another um dead alive situation and it wasn't as dramatic (laughs) as that but it was like it got a little gross at times it does it does which is weird because blood actually doesn't usually bother me in movies. Yeah. Hmm. But anyway, um, R.I.P. Sarah. Yeah. So Susie like comes to her senses the next day, and Sarah's gone, and she thinks that maybe she's run away, and she remembers that she had you know found this this stuff, and she's kind of wondering about what's going on. So she calls a, a friend of Sarah's, Frank Mendel, who is a psychiatrist who used to help Sarah, um, and Mendel introduces her to like one of his colleagues, Professor Milius. But before that, he like kind of reveals a little bit more about the school that they're going to, which is, yeah. it was founded by a Greek woman named Helena Marcos, who people believe to be a witch. And then he's like, all right, I gotta go, but my friend here, Professor Milius, knows a shit ton about witches, so he'll help you out. Yeah, and so it turn- we find out that Helena Marcos died in a fire at the school. Yeah. Um, and it destroyed a lot of the school, but it was rebuilt and then reopened as a dance academy, because originally it was partially for the occult and partially for dance. Right. The fire destroyed it, killed Helena Marcos, and then they reopened it as purely a dance school. Yeah. And um, so then Milius is like, also, just FYI, covens can't really survive without their leaders. They need, like, the source of their power from, like, the one true ultimate witch. And so Susie gets back, and she finds out that everyone in the school is just gone. Like, they all went to a ballet. Yeah, and no one told her. And they're like, oh, we got you a ticket. Or they got you a ticket or something like that. Yeah, and she's like, but no one told there. me. Yeah. And um, so she has food in her room, and then she realizes the reason why she's been passing out every night and, like, unable to be woken up. Because, like, Sarah was shaking her and trying to yeah, get her to wake up. and she was gone. It's her food and wine and everything has been totally drugged. This is another scene that actually kind of got to me because she flushes it all down the toilet. So there's a lot of scenes of her just, like, shoving, like, gross food into the toilet water. That kind of made me a little queasy. Oh, I was just thinking that poor plumbing. Yeah, that too. But... So then she decides she's going to follow the sound of the footsteps and figure out what Sarah was onto. Like, she's going to yeah, and she finish had been, like, the job. in and out, kind of, because Sarah had been trying to wake her up. Mm-hmm. And she, like, heard how many footsteps or whatever. And 
the direction. So she follows them and gets to a room with a wall that has a bunch of irises painted at all. Yeah. So it's a carpeted room, which is why at a certain point the footsteps stop. She's like, it doesn't look like there is any exit. So she's like, well, they can't be in here because I don't see anyone in here, but I can't figure out where they could have gone. And so then, inexplicably, she remembers everything that <laughs> yeah, she's able to, that like, Patricia said before she left. Um, she's able to, like, read the lips of her memory or something. It's weird. It's very convenient. But it says something about how um, you need to... There's a secret entrance. You have to turn the blue iris. Yes. Which is... I feel like she could have figured it out just from secret iris, but that's okay. It's fine. Um, so she turns the blue iris and it opens the secret door that leads her like down into this other part of the school that she didn't even know was there. And so she's looking around and she hears Madame Blanc and like the rest of the school. We're talking about like getting rid of that American bitch. Yeah. Um, Which is so weird because she comes in. She's there for like a week or two. Yeah. Like she's there for such a short period of time. She tries to dance, falls ill. And they're like, fuck it, we want to kill her. Yeah, I think it's because maybe she's starting to catch on to things or something. She was asking a lot of questions about Sarah, but that's because, like, her good friend just disappeared yeah, overnight without saying anything. Yeah, but it seems like, like, Patricia was killed as soon as she started finding stuff out, right? That's true. Sarah was killed as soon as she started finding stuff out. Like, it's all of these things where it's like, as soon as you start to know anything, you die. That's true. Um, and then a little fucking Albert, that little shit, he true. notices Susie, and he's like, hey. She's over she's there. Over there. Um, and so Susie, like, goes, she's kind of scrambling around to find a place to hide. And what she finds is Sarah's body in a, in a casket. And, and it's, like, like, nailed down. It's yeah. really gross. And she's been, like, you know, she's covered in blood, like, because she's been sliced up. So she runs and she hides in another room. And when she gets into that room, she realizes there's a person sleeping in that room. And it's the heavy labored breathing of the, what is she called again? The directress. Re- directress. I want to say reductress because I read <laughs> reductress a lot. And that's not right. Um, but she realizes that not only is it the directress, but the directress is actually Helena Marcos. Yes. And she can turn invisible. So yeah, she wakes up and starts talking to her and is like taunting her. And so Susie like rips open the curtains and she's like invisible. There's no one there. Yeah. And she's like saying all this shit about like, oh, like look behind that door, like to the, well, a door that's like in the room with them. She's like on the other side of that door is hell. And then like and it's Sarah's for you. body like pops out and is like trying to kill her. Like she's using using her as like a zombie to murder um, Susie. But then uh, Susie is like, yo, you're invisible, but you're still here. And so she takes, um, there's this beautiful like peacock thing, um, sculpture that's in the room and it falls over, which is actually what wakes up Helena Marcos. Right. Like she actually hits it. So she picks up um, a part of it that's sharp and just stabs where she thinks the body might be. Um, Cause there's this like weird glowing outline that shows up occasionally yeah. and she stabs and she kills her. She does. And so then like everything, the school starts to like fall apart and things like catch on fire and just like everything is going up in flames all the Um, witches are like bleeding from their tops of their heads yeah and she runs out the front door and she's just laughing and smiling and that's the end of the movie yep so that's the original suspiria and the remake while it has a lot of the similar elements it's at a dance school there are witches it is a full hour longer it is. It's so long. It's two and a half hours. It goes into a lot more detail. So we'll do a really quick rundown of this as well. 
So we mentioned the actors and actresses in 1977, um, but this one has a really star-studded killer cast. It does. So this obviously came out in 2018. It was directed by Luca Guadagnino, who's also the guy who did Call Me By Your Name. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, weird change of pace. Definitely. (laughs) Um, But it is written by David Kajnik. Yes. And And Dakota Johnson plays Susie Banyan. Yes. And she's wonderful. She's incredible. She has a really bad wig. Yes. But is a wonderful actress in this. Yeah. Uh, Tilda Swinton plays Madame Blanc. And, and Mother Marcos. And <laughs> Joseph Klemperer, who mm-hmm. the psychiatrist. So, uh, But apparently she was credited under like another name. And they like pretended that he was like really a psychiatrist who had like only been in this one role and like all this stuff. People were they like, also I think it's Tilda Swinton. I asked like, is it is Tilda Swinton playing him? And they said no. Like, because she's playing someone else who this character is inspired by it's weird and i love it it's so strange um, um and then there's mia goth angela winkler chloe grace moretz are three of the other dancers um angela angela winkler is actually um miss tanner oh no I so she's, up. she's one of the matrons and then mia goth is sarah um and chloe grace moretz plays patricia and the music is all done by Tom York. Yeah. And so the music in the 1977 one was by Goblin. It's by the Goblins or, or Goblins or just Goblin. Um, this weird synth group. It's really cool and very disturbing and like fits the movie and the weird surrealness perfectly. But some of the Tom York music was very reminiscent. It was some of the same like melodies, but done in a different way. Yeah. And it was really cool. So this movie actually starts with um, Patricia's situation. And rather than her being violently murdered, we see her running away from the school and going to go to her psychotherapist, a guy named Dr. Josef Klemperer. And she's freaking out. She's yelling. She tosses her bag in the corner. He's like, like dancing and yelling. She has and... a song stuck in her head that won't come out. And she's clearly like very troubled. And he's saying like, you've been having these delusions about your school and stuff. And she's like, no, they're all witches. They took my hair. They took my urine. Yeah. At some point she says in German, so it's subtitled, they're ho- they'll hollow me out and eat my cunt on a plate. Which is Damn. very visceral. <laughs> <laughs> um, so she's freaking out and then she just disappears. And then we see Susie Banyan, who is still a young American woman. Um, and she's from actually a Mennonite family in Ohio. So she arrives in West Berlin, which is where this takes place. And the original is in, um, like, Bavaria, like, in the Black Forest. Yeah. In this, it's in the middle of the city. And so she shows up, and it's 1977 Berlin. It's the German autumn, so, like, shit is going crazy. Yeah. Like, it's a really weird time to be there. And so she shows up, and... Um, She's auditioning. So she's not just showing up to, like, be there. She has to audition. And it turns out she's never had any formal dance training, but she loves dance. Right. And she reached out asking if she could audition. And for some reason, Madame Blanc said, like, yes. Yeah. And, um... So she goes in, and everybody else is kind of, like, dancing. But she sits down and she meets with, um, uh, Mrs. Tanner. So... Yeah, Susie, she goes to audition, and she's in a, there's, like, a private room, and a couple of people are there, including Miss Tanner, and she asks, like, is Madame Blanc coming? They're like, no, she's teaching class right now, Yeah. Um, but we want you to dance, and so she goes to put on music, and they're like, no, do it without music, and so she starts dancing, and Madame Blanc, who's teaching, she gets, like, she knows that something's up, she can tell, mm-hmm. and so she goes down and watches, like, the second part of the dance. Yeah. So she and ends up getting into the school. Yes, they're like, great, amazing, come on, join us. And so she's super excited, she moves in. Um, yeah, this and, is, like, her dream. And this is, instead of being ballet, this is, like, modern, contemporary, sort of experimental dance. And it's all of this this piece called Volk that um, Madame Blanc had kind of created. It's, like, in the 1940s, yeah. so it was... 
either, I think it was right around the end of the Second World War, they designed the stance and the idea is it's supposed to communicate like the good and the bad and like the, the conflict of the time yeah and she says in order for dance to continue we have to break the nose of every beautiful thing which is a phrase that i really like i love that they are practicing and they yeah madame blanc says like well patricia was the lead we're gonna change that so olga you be the lead and sarah you dance olga's part mm-hmm. and then olga throws a fit because she was really good friends with patricia and yeah. she's like i don't want to be here i don't believe in you guys you all fucking suck you're witches she calls she calls them witches yeah, and she storms out and like goes to grab her bag and she's going to leave yeah and she ends up sort of being led down this hallway yeah she's trying to leave and she gets like confusing us down there and she enters a room and it's it the audition out, room it's the audition room which is covered in weird mirrors yeah there are mirrors on every single side of it yeah and so she's trapped in there now mm-hmm. and they're going to perform volk upstairs do the practicing um and they don't have anyone who's going to be the lead right so madame blanc is like Susie, you do it well, Susie volunteers for it. She's right. like, she's like, I've watched this dance so many times. I've seen it live in person. I've practiced it. I can do this. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm blonde. I was like, are you sure? And she's like, yes. Yeah. So she's like, great. So you're going to do it alone in front of us because we want to make sure that you don't accidentally like, kick someone in the face. If, right. Like, she's like, we don't want anybody to get their ribs broken. Yeah. Which is hilarious. So they make her do this dance to no music mm-hmm. as the protagonist. And she does. But at the same time that she's doing that, we see Olga in the room. And every time Susie makes a movement, it's like that movement is like punching or breaking or bending Olga's body. Yeah. So like her bones break and like jut out of her side, not like through the skin, but you can tell the things are misshapen. At one point her jaw like cracks. Yeah. Um, And it's all in line. And so it seems like the dance she's doing is actually like a spell. And before she started dancing, uh, Madame Blanc had like touched her hands and touched her feet and they Mm -hmm. glowed. So it's clear she'd given her some power to kill Olga. Right. And it's a very long, drawn-out torture scene that is But it's, like, combined with gross. this beautiful dance sequence. It's really visually amazing. It's so cool. Um, and so the, the other teachers come along, and they drag out Olga's body. Um, they have these big hooks that they put into her and drag her off. Yep. Um, and then we see, like, a coven meeting. So, like, everybody at the school, all of the matrons are witches. We more hear it than we True. even we see it. True, we see them it. sort of standing around and in their like, apartment. Yeah, like, someone's in the kitchen, and we can hear them. And they're all voting yes and they're voting either for mother marcos or madame blanc and it's for who is going to continue to lead the coven and they they vote in marcos over blanc um and they start talking about the idea of using Susie, who has shown up as this killer dancer as potentially a new host for mother marcos and that they were going to use patricia yeah but she was an unwilling host right. and it, the whole thing got messed up and they think Susie will be able to do it yeah but they need to like groom her first and then kind of out of nowhere although she has been hanging off to one side and looking weird the whole time mrs griffith who is one of the matrons slits her own throat or like yeah, she stabs just herself stabbing herself in the, in the throat, throat like a bunch it's really fucked up there is a ton of blood it's the first like really bloody scene yeah like there's no blood when olga is killed it's just all like she pees and she spits but she doesn't bleed but then there's a shit ton of blood in yeah. the scene. But Susie is having a killer time at this Academy. Oh, she's Academy. doing amazing. Like, Miss Blanc loves her. She becomes the protagonist in Volk. Like, she fully earns it. And she's, like, going to be that when they perform. Um, but the therapist, Patricia's therapist. Yeah, Klemperer. Yeah, becomes really suspicious. And he 
did you realize that he was played by Tilda Swinton? I knew that before, and I don't think I would have figured it out if I hadn't. I that. found out about halfway through. They did an was, amazing job. Yeah, so she plays three roles in this movie, yeah. and Dakota Johnson plays two roles. Yes. But her second role is just like her sister, who you see for like a brief second in the yeah, very early movie. Um, and so Klemper is kind of like poking around, and he thinks that some weird shit is going on at the dance school. And so he talks to Sarah to look at, um, he brings her over and like has her look at Patricia's journals and Sarah's like, this is ridiculous. Like, please trust me. Like I've been there for a long time. I would know if there were like secret rooms and like weird shit going on in the school. There definitely isn't. I'm sorry, I can't help you. And she like leaves their lunch. But then she does a little bit of exploring and finds like the secret room. Yeah. And so then she's like, okay, maybe some weird shit is actually happening here. So they get ready for the actual performance of Volk in front of a crowd. Yeah. And it's like the last time it's ever going to be played. Yeah, it's going to be the very last time. And it's beautiful. And they have these outfits that are these red string dress things. I don't really know how to describe it. They're like woven together out of string and are hanging. And they're all wearing like nude colored underwear. And none of them have like bras on. So it's like very much like just string hanging over an almost like seemingly naked body. And it looks like blood. It looks like. So the. the, Poster for the original Suspiria had, like, the um, hanging body of Patricia with the blood dripping down her legs. And it looks like that. Like, that's because it dangles and it's sort of fringed and it looks like that. It's really, really cool. Um, But they all do their makeup. But while they're doing their makeup, they realize Sarah's not there. Yeah. And one of the matrons says, oh, she was here earlier. She did her makeup. Then she left. She'll be back. And Sarah decides to do some more investigating Mm -hmm. and goes back to that sanctum and finds Patricia, who's still alive, but, like, barely yeah she's in bad shape she's like kind of greenish and she's very like like, withered yeah Yeah. um and she starts to like run away because i think someone like discovers her kind of yeah so i think it's it's um miss tanner or i don't remember if it's if her name is miss tanner in this or if it's another thing but it's basically the miss tanner equivalent um discovers her and madame blanc is still up with the other girls i don't think she's down she doesn't um but they man- like they make a hole in the floor as she's trying to run away, and she snaps her f- like yeah her, her foot her- falls into it, but because she's running, her leg breaks. And yeah, her bone is jutting out. It's fucked up. Um, and she's just screaming in pain. And while the 1977 Suspiria didn't have the best acting, the acting in this is killer. Oh, it's so good. Every single person in this is wonderful. Yeah. and um, those screams of pain just seem so real. And they do something to her. Like, before she leaves. You sort of see them coming towards her and, like... They come to her and they, like, use magic to kind of heal her leg. So then we see upstairs, they're dancing folk, and they're kind of like, this is weird that, like, there's not another person here, but whatever. They said just pretend dances if she's there. Yeah. And they, like, put Susie under a trance and get her into the dance. And So she's up and, like, her leg is covered enough that you can't really tell what's happening. But she's dancing on it. Yeah. But also, when they'd set up for the performance, they'd drawn all these lines over the floor, mm-hmm. which kind of create a pentagrammy type thing that which was also in the yeah. notebooks that yes. Patricia had had. So there's like a plan. Like, this is a thing. And at some point during it, Sarah collapses in pain. Yeah, it's like Starts- at the end. So... Susie goes off book, which she talks to um, Which we don't find out until a little bit later. Right. But But she's kind of been pushing back on, like, being told how to dance a lot of the time. Like, Like she she hates the jumps. She doesn't want to do jumps. She wants to be close to the ground. And, like, while she's being close to the ground at one point, there's, like, it's clear that she's connecting to, like, some creature that's within the school. So it's, like, there's some draw there that's, like, bringing her to the ground. So she's already been a little bit difficult. Um... And so she goes off book and that's when Susie like collapse or Sarah collapses and is screaming in pain and they have to like stop the whole, um, the whole performance to like get her to a doctor basically. 
Yeah, and I think that it's after this where Madame Blanc comes into Susie's room and mm-hmm. they're talking telepathically. Yeah. Because at this point, Susie's like, it's pretty obvious that she's become fully aware as to what's going on. Yeah, she, so she's like earlier in the movie where she's having all these nightmares of it. She wakes up and screams, I know who I am. Yeah. And it, from that moment on, it seems like she's like totally down for all the occult shit. Yeah. Happening. And there's like a bunch of flashbacks to her childhood of like her mother being on her deathbed. And her mother says something about my sin is my daughter. She's this. But the, she the, also like physically abused her. She like would have yeah. like ironed her hand and stuff. Yeah. So it's unclear of whether like at the moment it's like you think that her sin is what she did to her daughter, but that's not nope. exactly right. Um, so they have this conversation telepathically and Madame Blanc is like, Susie's like, I'm sorry for going off book. Madame Blanc is like, you, I understand, but like, you can't really do that. And they'd have brought, we'd brought Sarah back to finish the performance to make this whole thing happen. Yeah. And you messed it up. She's, she's like, did I hurt any of those people? And she's like, no, not this time. But like, you can't do that kind of yeah. thing anymore. Um, and so that's a weird thing. And then we kind of flash back to Klemper a little bit. Um, he's been looking around, poking around, um, and his wife had gone missing. And he has a whole plot line that, like, we won't really get into. It's interesting that it's not the main plot line, really. It's, like, him investigating the school. Um, as well as him trying to figure out what the heck happened to his wife. Right. Like, he his, goes and talks to some police officers at some point, And yeah. it's like, you helped me look for my wife. And she's been missing since World War II. Yeah. Um, so then he, like, returns home or, like, to a, a house, like, in the country or something that he has. And she's there. And it's actually played by Jessica Harper, who is the original Susie Banyan from the Aww. first movie. So that's kind of fun. And the two of them walk down the street together. They go back to his place, and or seemingly going back to his place. But they walk, and at some point, she just disappears. Yeah, but she's told him all of this stuff about how, like, you know, I fled to Zurich and then to Bristol, and we escaped the Nazis, and I thought you were dead. Like, people told me that you died during the siege, and so, like, I thought that you were gone forever, and I'm so sorry I missed you. And then, yeah, she just vanishes in the middle of their conversation. But in front of the school. Yes, and he is immediately ambushed by the, the matrons of the school. Um, and so Susie, fully aware of everything that's going on, is led down into, it's called the Mutterhaus, the like... The inner the, sanctum Yeah, thing. the place where all the, the mom witches live. Um, and so Madame Blanc is down there, as is the really fucked up uh, Helena Marcos, who we finally see, who's like this blob of flesh she's like she kind of looks like a bloated dead body that's still alive and, and she's wearing, wearing sunglasses um <laughs> so i was reading a reddit thread about that and like yeah. why they would have her do that and the theory she there's this portrait that is shown at some point in time that has madame blanc and um mother marcos yeah. together in it and she's wearing sunglasses there too so i think that in her old age she went blind and so she was wearing the sunglasses in her life and now that she's like kind of in between life and death she still wears them even though she's naked um but also klemper is like tied up on the floor fully naked yeah Um, and there are weird everyone's naked everyone's (laughs) naked and dancing um dakota johnson so Susie, is wearing this like very sheer dramatic like deep cut dress yeah and is like naked underneath it and it is so like she is She's in this scene and she just acts it so well and like they you see the bodies basically like the reanimated corpses or like the preserved corpses of um olga and i think olga it's olga it's patricia and it's sarah and the three of them are like forming a triangle in the middle around like an important matron or something like that yeah but so 
um, Susie comes in and Madame Blanc, Tilda Swinton, is like, are you sure you want to do this? You have to be 100% sure. We don't want it to go wrong. If you want, I can just erase your memory and you can go back. And she's like, no, I'm here for it. And so they start to disembowel Sarah, Patricia, and Olga. Yeah, they like rip them open. They're rubbing intestines all over themselves and stuff. It's a very intense scene. <laughs> it is. But then... Madame Blanc tries to stop it. She does. And uh, Mother Marcos like semi-decapitates her, like yeah. cracks the back of her neck open. She starts blurting blood everywhere. Yeah. So Susie seemingly is like, cool, I'm ready to be the new Mother Marcos. But she doesn't say that. She's just like, I'm ready for this to happen. And then what happens instead is this giant, like, death-like being shows up. Yes, the personification of death, basically. Yeah, and kills Mother Marcos. And then Susie is like, surprise, bitch. Suck it, guys. I'm Matris Aspiratorum. I'm the mother of size. And, and I I'm... have been this entire time. Yeah. Because Mother Marcos had been claiming to be that. Yeah. And early in the movie, Madame Blanc was like, if this was true, we would not be having all these issues that we're having. Right. We should stop calling her Mother Marcos because she is not one of the three mothers. Mm -hmm. And other people are like, nah, we're going to do it anyway. Yeah. And so she basically kills everyone who voted for um, Madame, Ma uh, Mother, Mother Marcos, Marcos over Madame Blanc. Yeah. So like about half to I think it's uh, there were three more people who'd voted for Mother Marcos. So about yeah. half to two thirds of the um, matrons are violently murdered, and there is blood just smearing. Oh, everywhere. this is so. And this they start to actually use like the red lighting and like weird stuff that kind of yeah. feels more like the original Suspiria, which I thought was really cool. Um, and then so she kills Olga, Patricia, and Sarah so that they can finally she, be arrested. It's at really rest. beautiful. She goes to them and she's like, "What is your wish?" Mm -hmm. and each one of them says death. And so she like gives them death and like yeah. puts them at peace. And she, it's just, it's a really sweet, as much as it's weird that they've been disemboweled and they're kind of zombies and stuff like that. It was clearly like a scene where she's doing it out of love for these yeah. women, not out of like hatred, which is what the other witches were doing. Right. And so they die. And then we kind of cut to the next morning and Klemper is like being walked out by like one of the Academy, <laughs> like matrons who's still alive. And he's like, very confused and, and very he has blood all over his face but he's clothed again because he yeah. was naked during the scene yeah and he goes back home and now Susie slash mother superiorium goes to him and his like the his housekeeper is like who the hell are you and she's like leave and she follows her yeah. instructions and so she says like i believe you have the right to know exactly what happened to your wife she actually did die um during this time like even searching for her she's like, this is the exact details of her death. Yeah. and But I'm going to erase your memory of all the horrible but things that happened to you. It's so sweet because she says, in the last moments of her life, she died with these two other women that she'd come to be close friends with in the camp. And her last memory was um, of a concert, a birthday that you surprised her with a concert. And it yeah. was the first time you ever hold, held her hand. And so she says, like, she did die, but she was not alone. And her yeah. last thoughts were of you. And then she says... Um, She's talking about power, because obviously she's very powerful. And she says something about to have power, we need guilt and we need shame, but we don't need yours because you're a good man or something like that. It was very sweet. It was really sweet. And then she touches him and she erases his memory. And he has a seizure, but seemingly mm -hmm. is going to be okay and yeah. not remember any of the weird witchy things. And she also apologizes for like the way her daughters treated him. Yeah. And she leaves um, and things return to semi-normal at the school. Madame Blanc lives. Kind of. She's there's found a weird, alive, um, there's a of. weird scene where like 
her head has been like snapped forward and they lift it back up and she starts like breathing and be like, yeah. ah. and then we don't actually see her again. But right. there's like a woman who comes in there like, sorry, Madame Blanc has like, had to leave the school. But yeah. it's also like, is she going to come back? Is she alive? It's really hard to tell what's going to happen to her well, slightly dead body. She has, she's best friends with the mother of size who has the social probably personification okay. of death as like her bro. So like they're probably going to be... I also really appreciated because I just came back from France this past week that at some point in the movie, uh, Tilda Swinton had told um, Dakota Johnson that like in order to be a dancer, you need to learn French because she was using French terms for the yeah. dances and she didn't know what they meant. And then they just start speaking in French sometimes. And I was yeah. like, oh, I can actually understand what's going on That's here. That's how it about the German. A lot of this movie is in German. Yeah. Because uh, it's set in Germany. And apparently um, a lot of these people had to learn German for it. Like uh, Jessica Harper, the... Uh, it was only offered the part with the understanding that she would learn enough German to be able to speak her lines. That's great. Really. I mean, it's a beautiful movie. Yeah. All right. So let's get a little bit into the background. Of, we're going to start with the first. Uh, obviously, since Dario Argento came up with this whole concept, we're going to start with him. Um, he has made a bunch of films. And, and prior to this, everything that he had done was... I don't speak Italian, so I'm sorry if I fuck any of this up. Uh, they were giallo films, um, which are basically pulpy crime dramas that are sort of in a lot of ways predecessors to slashers and then a lot of times they focus about like on people being um hunted down by murderers mostly wearing black gloves and a trench coat and a mask of some sort being you know their identities being really carefully concealed and they're super gory love it so they're mostly Italian. The name comes from the uh, yellow covers of the pulp fiction novels that they're based off of because giallo is yellow in Italian. Um, and everything that he had done up until this point, with the exception of a movie called Five Days in Milan, which was a dark comedy, had been a giallo film. And this was his sixth movie. Yes. This is his first actual horror horror movie, although some of his other stuff, like I said, they're very clearly like the predecessor to slashers. Yeah. This is the first supernatural thing that he'd really done so but even then like the actual things that happen in the movie don't look supernatural right they'll have practical things that have happened where like they're not using like supernatural forces to kill people like they did in the remake for sure but it's like they have people who go out and kill these on behalf of mother marcus right um and there are a lot of elements of a gallo film in this so there's actually two different kinds the m galley and the f galley and they focus on male and female M. Galley is, it usually focuses on a man who sees a murderer and becomes the target of the murderer, right? Pretty straightforward. It happens in um, uh, Deep Red, which is another movie that he'd made, which is a great, I would say it counts as a horror movie. A lot of them, they're right on the edge, but you can count them as horror movies. It's a fantastic movie. Um, And then F. Galley tend to focus on uh, their movies with a female protagonist. They still get involved in, like, something criminal or murdery or whatever, but a lot of the focus is on, like, their psyche, their sexuality, and it uses, um, this is from a Nerdist article uh, that I read about this, I'll cite all the stuff on the website, um, which uses the thriller elements as a reflection of their own fragile mental state, which you see a lot of in this because a lot of the weird elements sort of go along with Susie being drugged and confused and really out of it and like the paranoia of some of the other characters. It still fits the idea in a lot of horror movies of the time of the final girl. Yeah. So, which was becoming popular at the time. I mean, Friday the 13th came out three years after this. Yeah. Halloween was a year after this. Yeah, this was 77, so Halloween came out in 78, yeah. Um, and either way, they all focus around, like, this mysterious black-gloved murderer who attacks a series of beautiful women. And you literally see, like, that's how Sarah dies. Yeah. She gets her neck 
cut her her throat slashed by a, a black love a black gloved hand. Yeah, though Patricia dies from a very very hairy arm, and that's true. No black gloves there. And the interesting thing is that first off, those are Dario Argento's arms. He played the the, the arms that kill her. Oops. Um, Sorry, Dario Argento for he's Italian. Arms. I assume he's fairly hairy. Um, I thought it was going to turn out to be like be a Hungarian guy or something yeah, like that. Yeah, that would have been a decent guess. I think um, one of the interesting things about having people being like wearing gloves and trench coats and stuff in a lot of Giallo movies is that the murderer is not always a man. But you can't, in fact, in both of, I watched Deep Red in advance of this and also um, Blood and Black Lace, which is a movie that was very um, inspirational for Argento. Um, the murderers are women. But you can't tell and you assume that they're men because they're fully masked up and, you know, there's a lot of sketchy men in the movies. That makes sense, yeah. But the women are the ones who actually do the killing. Um, and then often in Giallo films, the main character will be like either an outsider or a tourist, a lot of times a young woman. And in this, obviously, she is an outsider to the country because she's come over from the United States. She doesn't really dance or she hasn't danced in a long time. She's sort of out of place in the school. So they kind of take all of these things there's the super violent murders that show up a lot there's these themes of like paranoia madness questionable sanity a lot of times people will like say something to the cops and the cops are like that's insane that would never happen you must be out of your mind like in um deep red um one of the characters like goes and witnesses sort of the end part of a murder and he can't like save her but he says he tries to tell the cops that he thought he saw another picture hanging in her hallway that he doesn't see there now and what it actually is is he saw the reflection of the murderer's face in a mirror mm. but the way that he's trying to explain it to the cops they're like you're crazy we're not gonna listen to you and it's a lot of that like same weird paranoia where sarah's like i think that you can count their steps or like patricia's like oh like i saw weird stuff happening in like the iris room and in the remake at least we see that the psychiatrist or the therapist was saying like these are delusions yeah and there was a great line in the movie specifically about how like you like women tell you the truth and you tell them they're having delusions yes and that was one of the reasons why they wanted to punish him mm -hmm. and for that i was like okay i'm cool with him dying now because yeah. you're right freaking listen but also witches like if a woman if you're a psychiatrist and a woman shows up at your office and they're like my dance instructor took my urine and she's a witch and she's gonna eat my vagina like you know, you probably, your first instinct shouldn't be like, I bet you're right. Yeah. It's kind of the same thing we talked about with hereditary. Like, it is. To a point, it Believe does sound things. not real. Yeah. <laughs> um, But it is kind of interesting in Suspiria because, like, for the most part, in Gallo films, it's not really a supernatural outcome. Like, it's just, like, a person murdering all of these people. And so because of that, this, like, the big surprise at the end is, hey, this is supernatural, not just murder. Right. Like, it's not just, like, someone is trying to frame all these people for murder. Which is probably what like people witches. expected because of the way in which Gallo films were made. And because everything else that Argento had done up until this point. I also just call them Gallo films, not <laughs> Giallo films. That's okay. Or Giallo because we don't speak Italian, all right? Uh, but yeah, then the, the, the reveal is like, guess what, y'all? There are witches in this school and they are trying to kill you. Which is so different from the remake where it's like, that's told to you literally in the first scene. They're like, yeah. they're witches. And so it's not like in the the twist at the end is not that, oh, hey, surprise witches. The surprise at the end instead is, oh, you thought that you put this, that you're transferring this, like, yeah. essence. It's turned out she's been that the entire time. Right. It's, like, a totally different... It kind of, like, starts off at a different place and ends up a little farther in depth, which is really yeah, interesting. Yeah, where the remake starts is where the original ended. In terms yeah, of, like, of. the reveal. Yeah. It's it's very interesting. And it it's, is. I mean, in a lot of ways, I think that the 
or the first movie like puts you into a really weird space right away. So it's like horror from the very beginning in the sense that just everything looks really strange and there's like all these really violent things happening. Um, but it does take a while to get to the point of like what the actual story is. Whereas in the new one, the visuals are not as intense. It's not as intensive horror, although the woman getting folded up into a cube is pretty fucked up. Oh, that was real intense. Yeah. Um, but it, it puts you into the world right away and it kind of lets you know what the situation is up front and then kind of expands on it from there. Um, and in, in addition to the Giallo films that Argento was making, his collaborator, Daria Nicolodi, who co-wrote this with him, um, had a lot of input on the plot of this movie as well, obviously, since she was a co-writer. Um, and she actually sought him out because she saw The Bird with the Crystal Plumage, which was one of his earlier works, and was like, okay, I need to work with this guy. And so she starred in his movie Deep Red, which we've talked about a little bit here. Definitely watch it. It's on Amazon. I think you might have to pay for it, but it's great. So she started that movie with him and they struck up a romantic relationship that lasted for like 10 years. They worked together a lot. Um, she was in Inferno and Tenebrae, which are some of his later films as well. Um, and she co-wrote both Suspiria and Inferno. So she, she, they worked together quite a bit. And apparently she was the one who recommended working with Goblin for the music. Yeah. And I don't think this movie would have been the same without that. It's really intense. Like it is hard to explain how much like the really fairy tale bright color settings with really intense synth music. Mm -hmm. It's really disorienting. And I did read that this was actually based on a true story from like her childhood. Yeah. Because she went to a boarding school and it turned out at the boarding school they were actually like practicing black magic. Yeah. It wasn't a dance school, but still. Later on, Argento said that that was not a true story, oh. but it's like it's better if it is. Okay, so, the article I read may not be called true. it a true story. Also, he said it wasn't a true story. I don't think she has commented again on whether or not it was true. He so, get like, to decide. This right. is a man telling a woman that she's having delusions. Exactly. Time to tie him up naked in a pit. Fuck that shit. Um, and so she told him the story while they were traveling around Europe, and they met, like, I guess people who were supposed to be witches in the Black Forest. The Black Forest is gorgeous. Dude, I want to go there I so I drove bad. through it once just on away from like a German airport to a place in Austria. Like we had like a very late night bus and it was beautiful. Yeah. Just very like dark and creepy. Oh, you'd I love it. I go there so bad. Um, they saw the whale house in Freiburg, which is basically they've just recreated the outside of it. Like it looks exactly the same. It's this big red and gold building. Um, and they just rebuilt that for the outside of the school, um, which is a very unique building. Like it's really gorgeous. And then when they were in Brussels, they just saw a ton of Art Nouveau architecture. And they were like, okay, let's just make a movie with all of this shit in it. And, and they did. And it's incredible. Um, Plot-wise, it is inspired by the essay, I guess, short piece. It's like a prose poem um, called Levana and Our Ladies of Sorrow from uh, the book Suspiria de Profundis by Thomas de Quincey, which is mostly about opium addiction because he was super addicted to opium while Solid. he was writing all this. Um, but it basically, so it talks about the goddess of childbirth, the Roman goddess of childbirth, Levana. And he describes, like, these three mothers who he sort of imagines accompanying her around as, like, following with the curse of motherhood or whatever. Um, so there's Mater Lacrimarum, who is the mother of tears, and she weeps for lost children. I think she's sort of the most benevolent of mm -hmm. them. Mater Suspiriorum, the mother of sighs. This is obviously the most relevant because this is who, it's, like, it's, it's based off of. It's a little less clear-cut as to what she is because there's really good descriptions of, like... Uh, Mater Lacrimarum and Mater Tenebrarum, who's the next one? I read that she's partially um, does stuff with time as well. That kind of makes sense. And so one of the reasons in the remake is, okay, so this was a 
theory that I read on Reddit, and they said mm-hmm. this actually makes a lot of sense because this goddess is supposed to have stuff to do with time, mm-hmm. is that she is actually summoned in this. So Mother Suspiriorum is actually summoned in the ritual for the first time and then gets retroactively, because she controls stuff regarding time, is put into Susie's body at birth. Oh, interesting. And so like, if this hadn't happened, she wouldn't be. And um, because she's been in the body since birth, she, um, that's why the mother thought there was something evil in her. And that's why she was so drawn to Berlin. Cause we saw her as a child, like drawing out the word Berlin yeah. and they told her to stop like here in the U S don't do that. And she comes, she's been watching this dance for years and years and years. Oh, so it's and like it so, pulled her back towards where it needed to be. Yeah. So she was summoned. It went back in time. And then in being inside of her from the very beginning, pulls her to where she is. And it is in that moment. And when she gets to the school, she starts having the visions and has all like these occult things. There's like a scene of her like hugging a wall up in the air or something like that, where she's like levitating. And she wakes up and screams, I know who I am. And from that moment, she realizes that she has the superiorum inside of her. I like that So a that lot. is the theory according to a Reddit thread on this. And I was like, everything about this makes so it much does. sense. It does. It makes so much sense. Especially because they show flashbacks of her being born pretty much yeah. at the time where superiorum is summoned. Right. Oh, that's so cool. So that is, um, I didn't see if that has been confirmed or not, but that's a theory that everyone was like, yes, this is perfect. Interesting. Otherwise, it seems like all that I could really gather from it is like a lot of talk about like solitude and like lonely depression kind of. So they were a little vague, but I really, really like that theory. And I think that that adds a real layer of interest. I was trying to figure out what the heck was going on at times. So I just started Googling this. I was like, (laughs) let's explain this because I get most of it. But the childhood and how that related, that was a little confusing. Yeah. And so as soon as I read that, I was like, this like That really pulls it together for me. I like that a lot. Um, and then the final mother is Mater Tenebrarum, who is the mother of darkness. And it describes her in this piece as, she is also the mother of lunacies and the suggestress of suicides. And so the original Suspiria was the first in a trilogy. Yes. About the three mothers. Right. Um, so after this, in 1980, he released Inferno, um, in which a woman, she finds a book called The Three Mothers, which like describes the mothers and where they live. Like They each have a different house, like in a different city. And so Suspiriorum is in Berlin, or in yes. Germany. Yeah. Um, and then, like, basically the, the main villain in the character is Mater Tenebrarum, who's been posing as another person and who transforms into death personified, which I think there are a lot of parallels in that to the remake of Suspiria. I haven't seen Inferno. Um, so, yeah, so that kind of ties back into Suspiria, because like the remake of Suspiria, because, again, this Suspiria doesn't mention the other mothers, really. Like, Mm-mm. not in any meaningful way. I think they mentioned that there are three mothers. Yeah, and she, like, I think... Because Patricia Marco mentions sort it. of mentions something about I'm the Suspiriorum as well. But it's, like, all in passing. Whereas, like, it's really clearly laid out in the remake. Mother Marcos in the remake is so full of shit. Yeah, she's the worst. Um, and then in 2007, so there was a big gap here. Uh, he released the movie Mother of Tears about a woman who accidentally um, discovers the cloak of Matrilacrimerum and, like, unleashes a bunch of bad stuff on the world. Um, so again, so Suspiria is the only one out of these in which there's really no connection to the remake. It seemed like it was made and he was like, oh, what if I make others about this? Not like, I don't think he set out to make a trilogy. He set out to make this one movie and then made others that tied into it. And interestingly enough, Suspiria is the only one that really did that well. The others were not huge successes. I haven't seen them. I haven't really heard of them. 
And then this movie, the original at least, was also really heavily inspired by fairy tales as well. Yeah, and I think that there's, like, the second that they were in the Black Forest, I was like, okie dokie, here we go. Like, Oh, definitely. Like, it's an Italian filmmaker, so it's not like a German filmmaker making but something set where they're from. It's like an intentional decision. It was also inspired by, like, Alice in Wonderland really heavily. Yeah. And Pinocchio. Like, those aren't the traditional, like, German I, fairy they tales. They mentioned Pinocchio, and I don't necessarily see the Pinocchio I think it's thing. just the fantastical element. I guess. Bluebeard is another one that they mentioned, and that I mean, it's a, there's a secret hidey place that's full of dead bodies. So, like, I get that. That makes a lot of sense. You know, you show up and you don't know what else has happened to all the women there before you. I mean, you can say that maybe Susie's trying to, like, transform and has to go through this, like, horrible dark journey that's in order true. to do so. I don't know. I'm making stuff up for the Pinocchio. <laughs> but, but Argento was very heavily influenced by Snow White and the Seven Doors. Yeah, he loved it visually. He just thought it was beautiful and wanted to incorporate all the colors of it. Yeah. Um... And he said he wanted, okay, so the quote that I like is, we were trying to reproduce the color of Walt Disney's Snow White. It has been said from the beginning that Technicolor lacked subdued shades and was without nuances, like cutout cartoons. So he decided to go over the top with these colors. Yeah. And it worked so well. Like, there's a lot of um, reds and blues in Snow White. Like, her mm-hmm. dress has that. And it's full of reds and blues. It's with occasional greens thrown in. It's gorgeous. It's so beautiful. Um, and obviously the idea of a young, beautiful girl accidentally stumbling upon a house full of witches in the middle of the Black Forest is, like, classic Brothers Grimm. And the fact that she's being drugged by the food is such a Snow White thing, where it's like you yeah. eat the apple and you fall asleep, and mm-hmm. she was, like, drinking the wine and falling asleep. Yeah. it. I mean, it's very... It really, really comes across, and I really like that. I thought it was... I love fairy tales, and so I was very happy about I do, it. too. Um, so as we mentioned earlier, he was also inspired by cat people uh, in terms of the pool scene. Um, he was inspired by a movie called The Witches, which is not Roald Dahl's The Witches, which didn't come out till the mid-'80s. I love Roald Dahl's The Witches, though. <laughs> I know. Um, but this is another movie. It was an Italian movie called The Witches. And it's, like, about – it's, like, five different vignettes of, like, this same actress playing all these different characters as, like, different women who are in these different social situations and, like – it's very weird. It's super Italian. Lots of bright colors. There's a lot of the mirroring effects, which is a big thing in this. Like, there's yeah. mirrors and glass and everywhere. I wonder if that's one of the reasons why they decided to make it a dance school, because it does, like, the dance doesn't lead into it at all. Right. But there are a lot of mirrors there in ton, dance schools yeah. because you need to be able to watch yourself dancing to get better. So usually one or more, mirror, like, walls in a dance, um, a dance school are mirrors. Right. And also there's a, an idea of, like, this doesn't really show up in the witches, but it does show up kind of in, in the movie. Women who look alike, there's a lot of characters who look very similar. So they're sort of mirroring in like Susie and Sarah look a good deal alike. Um, so there's a lot of like whether or not it's literally a mirror, there's sort of duplicates and doubles. And like you mentioned, like um, in the remake, Dakota Johnson plays her own sister and Tilda Swinton plays all of these characters who like it sort of gives you that sense that everything is sort of the same or like coming from the same and thing. And a lot of the um, like matrons in the remake, they don't really fully explain who they are. No. Like the woman with the glasses who kills herself, like they don't really name her. She doesn't talk. She's just kind of there. No, her name's Miss Griffith, which they I don't know if they say it in the actual But they don't, they movie. don't refer to her as it. She they doesn't really do name. anything. Yeah. I think they might mention it when she dies. Yeah. But... It's not one of the, it's one of those things where it's like there are a lot of these like older women who are witches and you don't really know anything about them. They're just kind of like a, they're there as a group, but they're not there as individuals. Right. Um, he was also inspired by the cabinet of Dr. Caligari, which makes sense because that is some surreal stuff. Yeah, he really liked German expressionism, um, and he said for Suspiria, I was inspired by everything that German expressionism means: dreams, provocations, unreality, and psychoanalysis. Yeah. And- 
sometimes you can't quite tell if things were real or not, both in the remake and the original. Yeah, and there's, like, these... Yeah, it's all very dreamlike. There's a scene um, when Susie's sleeping, but the room is red and the door opens, and, like, the room just turns to bright green. Mm -hmm. Little things like that that are just, like, don't seem real, but are being shown to you. Yeah, and, like, the set design is clearly fake. Like, you don't look at the inside of the school and think, oh, that looks like a real place. You're like, oh, this is an obvious set. You would never mistake it for a real place. And even the rooms are called, like, the yellow room or the red room. Yeah. So it's very, yeah, it's sort of strange, and it includes, like, this artificial thing that sort of makes everything seem strange and unusual. Um, and so I mentioned Blood and Black Lace as well earlier, which was a big influence on him, and it's it's another giallo film. It's very pulpy crime drama. Um, but there's a lot of similar, you know, ways that they use light and darkness. There's a lot of colored light happening, so there are a lot of things where, like, there's no reason for it to be very purple, but it's very purple and there's just a lot of purple light. Um, this scene when Susie is leaving the airport or train station or whatever it is at the beginning of um, Suspiria, there's a scene where another woman is like leaving a building like a... a um, through like the automatic doors. Yeah, well there's the, the automatic doors that she's going through in Suspiria and there's a very similar... Like, the way that the music is and the way that things are shot and the way that the lighting is is very similar to an early scene right before somebody gets murdered in Blood and Black Lace. Oh, gotcha. So there's some very, like, if you watch them, they look like each other. And, of course, the dubbing thing is always a thing in most Italian films. And, again, I think in that one they're also speaking English, but they still had to dub it because it looks like their mouths are saying the English words. the same thing. Um, and it's also about a female-dominated inter- uh, industry. It's about I, a bunch of murders in the fashion industry. I read a really interesting article about how Argento was, like, obsessed with women. Yeah. And he just, like, loved the feminine shape, which is one of the reasons why the dance... It's probably another reason for the dance is, like, they're in these, um, like, leotards the entire time because that's right. what dance clothing is. And there have been talks about how the original Suspiria is, like, a feminist movie because, like, it's all women who are doing this. And he's like, mm. I don't know if I'd call it feminist because, like, the heroes are women, the... Um, villains or women just like everyone's when they're just like aren't really men in it I didn't do that specifically I did that because I love women yeah not because I'm trying to make like a feminist statement right and I think that that's interesting but I think that there is something feminist about making a movie in which women are sure they're victims and in that way that horror victims tend to be like the victors at the end as well but they're both they're the powerful in terms of they have the power as villains but they also have the power as like the ones who take down the villains yeah they don't need to be saved like the men in this movie are fucking useless they're completely useless one of them can't see not that that makes you useless but one of them can't see one of them can't speak like they're not and the other one is like just like there. a pretty boy who is literally like carries things for people and that's all he does. Right. Like the only ones with full agency and full the ability to, to figure out what's going on there are the women. And even the in the remake, there's technically three male characters, I'd say, in the yeah. remake. There is the there's Klimperer, there's these two police officers, but then the police officers show up and are like trying to ask questions, the witches like take control of them, put them into trances and, and like make fun of their dicks. Yeah. There's literally, literally a scene where they're like poking at one of their penises. And, and they're, they're putting like, like a ruler on it. it. Yeah. yeah. And then Klemperer is played by a woman. Exactly. So like he's not even So it's kinda cool. Yeah. Um and this has been, I mean, this has been a very inspirational movie for a lot of people. I think the use of color has been a big thing. Yeah. It was visually. Yeah. Nightmare stunning. on Elm Street apparently was partially inspired by it, which Honestly, I see. I really the, see The, like, Tower of Blood, mm-hmm. I can see that. Yeah. It's very similar to, and it's that bright blood. There's the um, super, super violent, gory deaths that, like, obviously there were gory deaths in other slasher movies before that, but it's like the over the top, like the bed spewing that blood is like and so over in the, the top. nightmare sequences. There's a lot of that same red and green. Yeah, I mean, literally red and green on the sweater. Yeah, which wasn't f- because of Suspiria, but yeah, because it was because the colors like clashed so badly. But, but I mean, even the use of clashing colors and bright colors and that yeah. visual confusion. I mean, that comes 
from somewhere. And so Syria was one of the first, you know, to really embrace that all the way. Um, and I actually, I watched the movie Neon Demon. I haven't recently. seen it, but I really want to. So it's not, it didn't get great reviews, but I actually kind of liked it. Um, but I found it similar to be, I, a lot of people didn't like it. <laughs> and a lot of supernatural stuff doesn't happen until the very end, which is kind of similar to how Suspiria works. Um, it's a more modern score, but it's very similar. There's a lot of synth. There's a lot of really bright lights. It's a, about modeling, which kind of even harkens back to Blood and Black Lace. And so there's a lot of these like on like on set photo shoot um, scenes where there's all these weird bright lights or they'll be like walking a runway. It's about this woman who, this girl who really doesn't have any experience but sort of like rises to the top anyway. Um, even Elle Fanning, who plays the main character, sort of looks similar and the like she has the huge eyes that Jessica Harper has. There's really intense architecture everywhere. Well, I think in the original... Um Susie is supposed to have been like a trained classical yeah, dancer. It's only in the while. remake who um, where she doesn't have any classical experience. Right, right. Um, there's a lot of mirrors. There's a lot of reflection. Um, there's the same thing of like physical resemblance between the main characters. Everyone is just a skinny blonde woman. Love like, it. Except for like one character. Everyone is a skinny blonde woman. Um, and it just felt really, really similar to me. That's um, awesome. And it did not get good reviews. A lot of people truly mm. hated it. But I don't think that like... I don't think that a a movie like this, like the original Suspiria, would do well now. It would not. I think that it's a little bit too out there. And I think that's what some of the movies, I think like Beneath the Skin, the Scarlett Johansson movie, Mm -hmm. I haven't seen that. It's been on my list forever. But that was also one that's very surreal and isn't, um, my understanding at least. I think that was another one that didn't get the best reviews partially because of that. Yeah, or like Antichrist. Um, Oh boy. Which is, I mean, that's much more gross and gruesome and sexual. um, But it's not... It's very experimental. It's very surreal. It made $2.5 million back on an $11 million budget and got really mixed reviews. I actually also saw the end of the remake of Suspiria being um, compared really heavily to the end of Mother. Oh, which I haven't seen Mother yet. It, I know. The last, like the final act of that movie is the most like bonkers, crazy, just like what the fuck is happening. And it comes like the first like half of the movie, two thirds of the movie is like, okay, cool. This seems realistic. Like, and it's like definitely crazy, but it's not insane. And the Mm -hmm. last part is just like, I know that this is a metaphor and it's supposed to be absolutely insane, but oh my God, how did this happen? What is happening? Yeah. I I don't think, and that got really mixed reviews as well. A lot of people really hated Mother. I both hated it and loved it simultaneously. And part of me wants to see it again. Part of me never wants to touch that movie with like a three put, Three foot stick. I need to see it. Oh my God. I'm not spoiling anything, but it's just one of the most off the rails, crazy movies I've ever seen. Yeah. Like Suspiria looks like normal in comparison to Holy me. Shit. Some people I really, don't I just agree. don't think that we are in a place where people can handle extreme surrealism. They're not interested in that right now. I don't now. know why. I, so, I think it just it happens in waves. I'm sure we'll get back to it. It seems like we're heading more in that direction because more movies are being made with that in mind. But and, like... Things that are more realistic have been really popular. I mean, I think found footage is a huge part of that. You have things like Blair Witch and Paranormal Activity, mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, here is something like, what if this was actually happening in your house? And like, you could actually film this yourself if you wanted to. Right. Like, you know that like a woman is not going to like turn into the mother of size and raise the devil in your dance studio. But like, you know, you can kind of be a little bit more convinced by very realistic setting and especially for supernatural things like something like Blair Witch Project where it's like yeah the concept is really supernatural but it looks like you're just out there with a camera or paranormal activity like you said like it feels like you're just in this person's home and then weird shit is happening it sort of tempers the weirdness of it 
um, one of the articles I read was talking about how, like, between Hereditary and Suspiria, and they actually included Mother in it, too, mm-hmm. which came out in 2017. Um, but you have these movies that, like, seem, like, kind of normal and just go off the rails. Yeah, I had a lot. I felt a lot of Hereditary and Suspiria. Obviously, they couldn't be influenced by each other. Because they, they came out too, so closely to each other. But, like, it's still, like, there's not much, like, bad shit happens. Gruesome shit happens, right? But it doesn't, in terms of, like, filmmaking, really get wild and crazy and totally nuts until the end. Prior to that, there are wild and crazy moments. And again, obviously, Olga getting, like, weirdly phantom kicked is kind of an exception to that rule in Suspiria. Oh, that was but so that's cool. sort of a standout scene. The rest of it is a little more tame. I've, and that's the scene that supposedly made people almost puke in the theaters when they first saw it. It's really upsetting. But other than that, there's these dream sequences where you get some of that weirdness. The dream like sequences the nightmares are super cool. that happen to both of, you know, all the characters in Hereditary and then, you know, Susie and... Sorry, I just remembered one of the dream sequences. I'm really happy you don't actually see... There's, like, a scene where, like, Omen, I don't know if it's supposed to be Susie or one of the matrons or whatever, but she's holding one of those giant sharp hook things really close oh, to yeah. her, like, vagina area. Yeah. And it looks like she's about to stab it, but you don't actually see the stabbing, thank God. Um, that was one of those that I was like, uh. Yeah. There's some fucked up shit in there. All right, so we're running out of time here a little bit, um, but I do want to talk about how public perception of witches changed these movies. Yeah, I mean, I think that nowadays, more than other times, the idea of being a witch or practicing some level of things that were popular in witchcraft, like tarot card readings mm-hmm. or, like, really embracing crystals, like, all that stuff is really popular it's so now. so mainstream. I have a tarot deck in my bedside table, and I, really, I have a billion crystals in my home. I really want one. I haven't gotten one. I just read a great little uh, thriller novel that included tarot cards all the time, though. Mm, I think they can be helpful. Yeah. It's largely about your own interpretation of it. It is. Um, but so it's no longer like a surprise. There are witches at the end. It's not going to really like right. do We're anything not for afraid people. afraid of witches anymore. Which is why like the just having it from the very beginning and getting to see some of what's going on, I think is a lot more interesting. Yeah. And also, I mean, I think that the times in which they made them and also the, the setting of each movie has a lot to do with that. So like if you set a supernatural film about witches in the woods of the Black Forest with all these bright colors and this fairy tale vibe, it's a simple concept of good and bad. The witches are always the bad guys in fairy tales. There's really sort of a limited idea of where you can go. Like, it puts you in the mindset to be like, oh, spooky, scary witches. And I think right now we're actually in a time where people are thinking a lot in grayscale, not in black and white. Exactly. So, I mean, there's so many varying levels. And so I guess having morally gray witches as opposed to, like, good witches and bad witches and ones in between um, relates a lot more to our thoughts on, like, the current world right and also so setting a film in 1977 berlin where there's all this complicated political stuff going on you open the door for more complicated political scenarios which a lot of that stuff is just how just like in the world around them there's this extremism versus a more moderate look at how they want to be as like the future of they Germany. also set up like patricia as like she wanted to go set off bombs like she's right. supposed to be a, polit- a political like activist and that's the reason why she right. disappears supposedly exactly and so then that opens the door for there to be, like, the more extreme and violent witches who are on Marcos' side versus, like, a more kind of tame version who is on Madame Blanc's side. Um, and also in 1977 Berlin, feminism was on the rise in the real world. Like, that was kind of the beginning of, like, what we think of as, like, modern feminism. And so it kind of makes more sense to put more of that into those characters and view the witches as sort of a symbol of feminism and of feminine independent 
independence and instead of even having men around to help them or serve them or anything like that it's just women in that school like all of the characters or most of the characters are women which allows them to play all of these parts it's not just innocent girl evil witches it's good witches bad witches and neutral especially witches. because like witchcraft as we think about it in modern day and those people like it really is about like embracing your feminine side yeah. and about feminism yeah and it's viewed decently positively now so yeah. i think that the idea of having like someone like madame blanc who she doesn't do anything wrong the entire movie she's just no. there and i guess okay actually well, rephrase she does make the whole olga thing happen that's true but that's so like she's it. kind of even an ambiguous character in that like we see a lot of sympathetic stuff for her but also she does do terrible things as well so it's sort of like well, why is she doing that? Is she doing that because she wants to, you know, help? It's clearly not because she wants to help um, Mother Marcos. So, unsure. Is it to just approve who Susie really is? Like, what are her ambitions or what are her motives? And you don't get a full sense of it, but you do get a better sense of who she is. And she's a much more complicated person than she is in the original movie. Yeah. All right. So we could probably talk about Suspiria for a million more years, but oh my um, God, we, really we do have to leave at some point. Um, definitely watch both of these things. I'm going to list a ton of sources, um, probably either on our uh, Facebook page. You can check that out. It's um, Saturday the 14th podcast. Um, check out some of those articles. I'll put them up. Um, I'm also going to post those on the website when we get the page up for this. Uh, there's a ton of stuff to read about. It's fascinating. Definitely worth a look. Check these movies out. Um, please rate and review us. Yes. If you haven't yet, we would really appreciate it if you go to iTunes and or wherever else you are listening to this on and just tell us how you feel. Yeah. Um, you can also follow us at Twitter at Sat14thPodcast. We are on Instagram at SaturdayThe14thPod. So follow us both those places. Uh, we'd love to hear from you guys. Tune in for our next episode where we are going to be discussing... A movie that we actually mentioned earlier in this podcast, but Paranormal Activity. Yay! Will we feature a list of reasons why the antagonist in this is actually a velociraptor? We might. Will... We might need to outsource that to the original creator of that concept. Yes. Uh, uh, we'll give full credit to that <laughs> concept. We'll have more inside jokes for you next time. <laughs> Um, but we love you guys. Please be safe. Uh, please, if you think that your dance school may secretly be run by witches, you just decide how you feel about that and make your decisions based yeah, on that. Yeah, either lean in and be the most powerful woman you can be or, or man you can be. burn that bitch down and run the fuck away. Either way, you should definitely do an extreme option. Yeah. But nowhere in the middle. No, 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 no. Don't just become like another witch. No, then you just get disemboweled during a ceremony. Yeah. All right, guys, uh, take it easy. We love you um, and enjoy uh, the next couple of weeks. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Mwah.